doctor, an engineer, or even a minister. Liberal education contributes far more than is sometimes supposed to many vocations. Moreover, we must never under underestimate the importance of work. Its value in the order of creation is far greater than the value of earning a living. A person's daily work, whatever it is, should be an offering to God, as well as service to others and means to one's own personal growth and dignity. Ephesians 6-7 says it very similarly to Colossians. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. But to realize this is to uncover the fallacy in a purely vocational approach to education. The human vocation is far larger than the scope of any job a person may hold because we are human persons created in God's image to honor and serve God and other people in all we do, not just the way we earn a living. Vocations and jobs are made for people, not people for vocations and jobs. The question to ask about an education is not, what can I do with it, but rather, what is it doing to me as a person? Education has to do with the making of persons. Christian education with the making of Christian persons. Since this is what God's creative and redemptive work is about, the making of persons in his own image, it follows that an education that helps make us more fully persons is especially important to Christians. That's the end of Dr. Holmes' quote. Back in the early 70s, and I know you find it really difficult to believe that I was a senior in high school that far back, but it is true. Um, I took typing class, and we learned on a manual typewriter. You may have seen one of those in the back of a garage or maybe even in a museum. Probably most of you have never typed on a manual typewriter. And one day during that senior year of high school, during my typing class, the teacher had made a special arrangement with um, someone and they brought in an electric, IBM Selectric typewriter, the newest, the latest, the greatest. You may have seen one of those somewhere in a museum or an antique store also, but you've probably never typed on, on one of those. Um, typing was fairly easy for me and I typed about 70 to 75 words a minute and fairly accurately. You probably don't even know how many words a minute you type or how accurately because you learned keyboarding probably. And um, it's a whole different skill. You might use the same fingers and you might use the same keyboard. But back in those olden days, whatever you typed on that piece of paper was what was there. And if you wanted to correct an error, we had these little bottles of whiteout. Any of you ever seen one of those? We could probably find one of those somewhere and show you what that looks like also. And you had to very, very carefully take that little bottle of white out and white out the mistake and try to do it inconspicuously and then get the paper in exactly the right place so that you could retype that letter so that it looked like it was actually a part of that original word. And this was how you created final documents, including dissertations and theses and all of those sorts of things. So typing accurately was very significant on that because the more mistakes you made, the messier that paper looked and the longer it took you to actually produce a paper. 
We actually even produced letters that way, and we sent them through the U.S. Postal Service. There, these people back here remember that, you know? Um, th there was no email. You know, that was how we communicated. There were no cell phones, and um, many times long-distance phone service was very expensive per minute. You paid by the minute back then. And so we wrote letters home, and our families wrote letters to us, and so that post office box at college was a very, very significant factor for us. Um, life has changed a little bit. Technology has changed considerably. And so we moved from electric typewriters to personal computers and um, then to all kinds of application software and to laptop computers. And now we have iPads. And earlier in the summer, I thought I would probably put my notes on my iPad and use it today so that you would see how technologically literate I am. But then I was afraid that I would lose it all and I would be standing here in front of you without my notes. Now, you all would be able to do that very, very easily. Uh, but for me, that's a different skill. It's a different way of accessing knowledge. And about the only good that my typing skills do for me on an Android phone is that I know where the letters are on the keyboard. Now, you all use two thumbs and you very quickly text, and you do it in code. Sometimes I can tell what those code uh, words are and letters, and sometimes I have absolutely no clue. I do it very slowly with two fingers and get the wrong word, and my temptation all the time, it takes me a long time, not just because I can't get the letters right and because I'm not used to using those two thumbs like you are, but also because my temptation is to do it in complete sentences with perfect grammar and punctuation. You know, it just takes too long. <laughs> it's not effective with that. So skills change, and um, I have to learn new skills as we go along. Back in that same time when we used those old-fashioned typewriters, computer skills and accessing information with computers was totally separate from producing a document. We had typewriters to produce a letter or a paper or a document, and computers occupied an entire room, and um, they were only in a few places. A small college like this would hope to have an arrangement with a local bank or a local large business so that they would let us use a, lot, a little bit of computer time late at night or on the weekend to process information. And in order to get some of that information in, then we didn't have all these nice software programs that, that did it for you. You had to learn a programming language, like Fortran or COBOL. So for an MBA statistics class that I was taking, in order to get the information in that I needed, I had to write a Fortran statement being able to think through um, exactly what I needed that mathematical statement to do in order to process that information. We typed it into this terminal that I won't even attempt to describe to you. Um, and it, that produced a paper punched card. And then that paper punched card was fed through the computer and it processed it. But of course, 
um, since the computer that was processing the information that I was working on was in Knoxville and I was in Nashville and they could only process it at night, then I would go in in the afternoon and I would get all of my information in to run the data that I needed to run and um, leave it. And overnight they would run that. The next day I would go back and fairly often I would find out that I had put a space in the wrong place or something and the information had not run accurately because my statement that I had put into the computer was incorrect and I would start over. And you can see that this could happen for days. So last minute assignments were not a really good idea because that was not gonna happen and you were not gonna be able um, to do that. Technology has changed so dramatically that now you can pretty easily have a statistic software program on your iPad that will correct all of those things and do those um, calculations for you. You don't have to know a technical language in order to do that. You have to know a way of inputting that information. Um, but the skill of writing a statement in Fortran is not necessary for me today in order to access that. Um, the goal in my statistics class was not really to learn how to write an effective Fortran statement. The goal in that class was to process information, to inquire, to analyze, and gain information that would help to make a good decision. The Fortran statement was the skill that enabled me to input the correct information so that the computer could process the volumes of information and give me the correct answer. The critical thought processes needed to ask the right questions, make relevant assumptions, and the writing and speaking skills to present the relevant data are pretty much the same today as they were back in the late 70s when I was taking that statistics class. These are problem-solving skills that are incredibly beneficial in our world today. And this is what sets liberal arts education apart. A focus on the broad-based critical thinking and communication skills necessary to solve difficult issues in a very complex world. Thinking skills. What are the relevant questions rather than the quick and easy answer? Writing skills. Can you effectively communicate by email or in a short summary report or in a more lengthy research report? And do you know how to put those sentences and punctuation in there in that type of a report rather than like when you are texting? Speaking skills. Can you articulate your findings in a way that is understandable and promotes understanding rather than divisiveness. My undergraduate education at a Christian liberal arts college prepared me well for graduate work in a professional program. It gave me the speaking, writing, thinking, critical analysis foundation that I needed in order to move on. Today's world is very complex and there are no easy answers to anything. The volumes of information that are available right now to each one of us just bombard you constantly. How do you sort through that? 
how do you determine what is real information and what is just somebody's thoughts that they have put together as fact? Have you listened recently to any of the politicians that are running for office? If you listen to some of them quite often, um, they have pretty quick and easy answers about how they're going to fix everything in our complex world in a very quick and easy way. And sometimes it sounds very logical when you listen to what they say. You might even think, wow, that's great. Yeah, I, I think that would work. Only to find just a few minutes later when you hear someone else espouse a completely different platform that sounds just as logical as the one before. What do you do? How do you know? What is the real information? Um, how are you supposed to decide who's telling you the truth or who is telling you um, just what you want to hear? Sometime during the last year, I was watching a commentator give a timeline of U.S. economic history, and he was making some pretty interesting claims and conclusions. My background is economics, and I've studied and taught the history of economics, and so I was at least somewhat familiar with the facts he was putting on the timeline and the information that he was giving. Every single fact on the timeline was absolutely accurate. There was nothing false. There's nothing that anybody could say that's wrong. You used incorrect information. All of his information was absolutely accurate. The problem is he had only selected the times and dates and events that would support the conclusion that he had drawn before he started looking at the timeline. There were quite a few relevant factors and events that had happened in that historical timeline that he just conveniently left out. Had he put those in, he couldn't have drawn the same conclusion. Now, how would you know if you had been watching that whether or not he was including the whole picture? How would you know what questions to ask? The questions are very often far more significant than the answers. And if you don't ask the right questions, you are definitely not going to get the right answer. How do you discern truth? How do you know when somebody is just using the facts that they want? Quite often, it's easy for all of us to know what we want our conclusion to be and to go back and look at the facts that will logically bring you to that conclusion. And if that's what you want to do and your goal is to support the conclusion that you've already made rather than to find the whole truth, you can probably find the facts that will allow you to do that. And if you're very persuasive, you can probably even convince your friends that maybe that is the truth. Earlier in the service, Dr. Severson said, ENC is a liberal arts institution committed to the belief that a broad base for education leads to students who are most vigilant, best prepared, and most aware of the complicated problems that we face in the world today. Back to the verse in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Vigilant, best prepared, 
and most aware goals of an education at Eastern Nazarene College. He went on to say, ENC's commitment to liberal arts is specifically Christian, which means compassionate, other-centered, sacrificial, and eager to attend to the least of these, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. That refers back to even those beginning verses in Colossians 3 that I would encourage you to review sometime today. Those are the hard ones that are calling us to a lifestyle that is for others, not just for ourselves. In his charge to the student leaders last Friday night, Professor Matt Henry said it this way, Your presence puts you in a position of power to provide. And the emphasis here is presence and provide, not power. How will you use that? What will you do with any position of power you might have and just having an education, just having a Christian liberal arts education to some degree will put you in a place of power. What will you do with that? What will you provide to the greater world and to those around you? Notice what both of these professors are saying is that a Christian liberal arts education is just not for your own personal betterment or enjoyment or that great job that it's going to get you, and it likely will. But it prepares you well to be an active participant in solving the complex issues of your day and in the process of solving these issues to act in a humble, compassionate manner, understanding that each and every individual is a person of value to God. Rather than becoming arrogant because of our great base of knowledge, the truly educated Christian becomes the humble servant. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whether it's preparing for class, doing your job, practicing with your athletic team, engaging in classroom dialogue, interacting socially, having a casual conversation in the CAF or a lively conversation in the CAF or in the dorm, Christian liberal arts education believes in holistic education that includes our mind, our physical health, our emotions, and very importantly, our spiritual growth and development. Let me challenge you here today, right here at the beginning of this year, don't think of general education courses or any of your other courses as just something to get behind you, a checkoff list. Got that one. You have a great faculty sitting behind me here who are committed to the integration of the liberal arts and the Christian faith and committed to being available to you inside and outside of class. They're passionate about the fact that as Christians, we must train our minds to ask the relevant questions and be able to articulate what we believe and why about our faith as well as about issues in the world around us. They will push you hard to ask the difficult questions to think beyond the obvious, and some days you may leave class quite frustrated. In fact, I can almost assure you that that will happen. The light will dawn for different individuals in the classroom at different times, and sometimes it may take you several days of struggling with those information, the thoughts, the hard questions, to actually begin to grasp the ideas. Don't resist the struggle. It's a very valuable part of the process. 
Learn to ask questions rather than just easily accepting what might appear to be obvious. Take this time, this precious gift that you have been given of college life to develop your God-given potential to the best of your ability so that you will be the best prepared that you can be to be part of the solution to the complex problems that we see in our world today. And I invite you now to stand and sing this final hymn of consecration, Take My Life and Let It Be.
Please remain standing for the benediction. We want to let you know we've run a little over on chapel, and so uh, just be assured the shuttle buses are, are waiting for us afterwards. So. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a community to worship and to thank you for your faithfulness to us. I pray that you will bless ENC this semester and this year with a strong sense of your presence, your peace, and your joy. And for the work of the students, the faculty, and the staff, Lord, I pray that this be a great year that brings honor and glory to your name. We want to dedicate this year to you and help us to be faithful in the things that we need to be faithful in. Guide and direct us in that way. And now, Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.